This is Hope Illuminated. I'm Sally Spencer Thomas. Mass incarceration, police brutality, systemic racism, systems of oppression. These are topics of conversation we are having in this moment in history. We are also seeing rage and despair in our black communities. In today's conversation, I talk about black men and mental health with former NFL player, Dwight Holier. We talk about these difficult conversations at this very heavy time and the tools we need to get to the other side. Come, take a listen. Hello and welcome to the 63rd episode of the Hope Illuminated podcast, your source for stories, science, and strategy of resilience, mental health promotion, and suicide prevention, where we live, learn, and work. I'm your host, Dr. Sally Spencer-Thomas, and I'm on a life mission to empower communities with solutions that help people overcome isolation and despair and rekindle a passion for living. Each episode, we're joined by international experts who inspire hope and offer real guidance. Welcome to the show. I'm so glad you've joined us. Today, we have a very important conversation, a conversation with multiple levels about men's mental health, about our athletes' mental health, and about black men, social injustice, and the well-being of our communities. We're recording at a time of very difficult social unrest, the mass incarceration and police brutality against our black men in particular have captivated our nation's attention. And many of us are leaning in like never before. We're acknowledging the multiple systems of oppression, not only in our justice system, but in our health system, our education system, and the many ways that these Systems of oppression have led to marginalization of people, trauma, and disparity. Today, I have a very esteemed guest. Dwight Hoyer played as a linebacker for eight years from Miami Dolphins and one year for the Indiana Colts. Then he served as a VP for wellness and clinical services for the NFL where he worked on player engagement and total wellness of the athletes. Today, he's a senior associate athletic director at the University of North Carolina, where he oversees student athlete health and well-being. Dwight and I met many years ago through our mutual connection with the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, as he was helping with a similar support line for the NFL players. And he graciously came out to Colorado again many years ago to present at our U.S.-Canada Forum on Mental Health and the Workplace. More recently, we reconnected, and he again agreed to write the foreword for our upcoming book, Guts, Grit, and the Grind, a mental health manual for men. Dwight, welcome to the show. Great. 
Thank you so much, Dr. Sally Thomas. Yeah, yeah, it's really great to have you here. And I know this is a, it's a very difficult time and there's a lot of, lot of things going on right now, professionally and personally for you. So I'm very grateful that you created this space to have this really important conversation about mental health and men and particularly in the black community. Tell us a little bit about your story, which I find so powerful. How did you get into this space where you are advocating uh, for the well-being of, of men and your athletes? Well, first of all, thank you for opening up the, the discussion and, and creating a space where we can have these conversations. It's, it's uh, really important to, to talk about. And to be quite honest, there's just not enough frank conversations uh, about the challenges that, that, that people face on all levels. Um, but when we talk about mental health and we talk about men's mental health and black men in particular, uh, it's an important area to, to cover. And so again, thank you for, for being willing to have that conversation. Uh, as far as you know, my story, I, I grew up in, in Hampton, Virginia, um, in, in a, in a um, home where we, you know, we struggle sometimes and, you know, sometimes the light's on and sometimes they're not. And, uh, but no matter what we had or didn't have, we always had our door open to others. And, and, uh, and it's that, that sense of community, that sense of taking care of one another that stuck with me and is, no, I, I think, and I attribute to the reason I'm in this uh, mental health space and, and, and trying to work to help support others. Uh, I was fortunate <laughs> that I could play football because I uh, otherwise wouldn't have had many, many opportunities to do much more. I'm a first generation college student and, um, and that opportunity was, was afforded because of my ability to play football. So I'm, I'm grateful to the sport of football for providing me that opportunity to, to get an education that my parents and that my siblings didn't, didn't before me, didn't have the chance to, to get. Went to the University of North Carolina, fell in love with the place immediately. And, and you know, I grew up this really reserved kid, kind of, um, you know, a little shy, didn't, didn't talk very much. And and so uh, in, in my mind, I wanted to be a, a, you know, I was thinking I could do something around sports and be a broadcaster. I, I was a tinkler as a youth and, and, you know, thought maybe engineering, something like that, but realized I didn't enjoy math enough to, to go into that field. But I went into North Carolina and thought, you know, maybe I could do a sports broadcasting. So I... Uh, initially started out as a speech communications major. Now, you know, as a speech communications major, you have to give talks and speeches and, you know, act in plays and work with others to create these, uh, these presentations. And, and so I was in that mode doing those things and I was a mess. I was a real mess. Like I would, I would go into those talks and those speeches and come out and I'm drenched in sweat like I had just played a game. Uh, it, I was so anxious. I developed a facial tick. So when I was in front of people, I could feel my cheek jumping. <laughs> Nobody could see it, but it drove me mad. And, and, uh, and, and so I, 
I had all this this anxiety around this, and I'm like, man, I you know this this degree is going to wear me out uh, more so than playing sports. <laughs> and so uh, I got to a point where I I said, look, I gotta I gotta do something else. And and but I was so far along in my speech communications requirements that I was like, well, then I'll double major, and uh, in that second major was psychology and I'd taken a class and fell in love with it. And so ended up double majoring in speech communications and psychology. No, fast forward, got an opportunity to play in the NFL. Um, and about my fifth year into playing in the NFL, we had a coaching change and, you know, and, and suddenly I was one of the old dudes on the team. You know, I was like 27, 28. Right. <laughs> They were calling me old man and Mr. Professional. And I was like, you know, if, if they're calling me old man, I might want to start looking for another career, another another opportunity somewhere. So it was at that moment where I was like, okay, I got to figure out what I'm going to do next. And I decided to attend Nova Southeastern University for a master's degree in counseling. I went over, took a class as an elective one, for, one summer semester and, and decided to jump in and so ended up playing in the NFL and working on my master's degree at the same time finished played one more season in Indianapolis and uh, then I was out of the game and jumped into the counseling world right away I mean it was two months after after uh, officially filing for severance that I I was working as a intensive outpatient therapist for dual diagnosed adjudicated youth. So mm-hmm. <laughs> right away. And and I'm gonna fast forward a little bit. You know, spent 12 years working as a counselor in many different realms as a school-based therapist. I was an intent I mentioned the intensive outpatient therapist. I was a child and adolescent outpatient therapist. I was a foster care program manager where I uh, worked on or worked with uh, 40 plus foster homes and foster parents, providing training, um, uh, placing kids into those homes. I did some, <laughs> there's, there's a lot of stuff that's blurring together. I mentioned school-based. I did school-based where I, I also coached a little bit, but I also was in private practice for six years. So there, there was a lot that I crammed into those, that 12 years of experience. And then I got an opportunity to work at the NFL, as you mentioned. So I, uh, it's a long story, uh, I, and I'm, I, I think I've probably overshared. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to back up a little bit to the early days because the psychology of sport, if you will, is actually a really important part of this conversation, that having a team, striving towards something that's important together, depending on one another, all of those things, a community really can help youth in so many ways find themselves, find the value of collaboration, have a, a way to release stress that's happening in other parts of their life. Talk a little bit about what it meant to be part of, part of a team in terms of your own mental health. It, it, it was profound. It is one of those elements that uh, I am forever grateful for, taught me so much about, about life, about perseverance, about even leaning on someone else and uh, and also responsibility to others uh, making sure that you are where you're supposed to be and and that 
camaraderie that you develop amongst your peers and knowing that there's somebody beside you that's working on the same thing that you're working on that you can trust to do their part to help support the overall mission is an amazing thing. And it's something that in the, in my professional life, I've tried to recreate that, that environment because it is nurturing um, from a, from a mental health standpoint. If you, you can relax in some sense, more so when you know that somebody has your back, mm-hmm. when you know that there are people that you can count on, when you feel confident in, in the leadership uh, that's, that's showing you the, the way and directing you and, and, and they, they have a hand on your shoulder and, and are, are guiding you along the way. I mean, there's, there's a real peace and peace of mind that you get uh, that I got in, in being a, a football player and being a part of that team and, and um, you know, I talked about talked about being a, a shy person, not talking much. I, I, you know, I was fortunate. I I had a little fearlessness in me uh, because that gave me the you know, the confidence when I put on the helmet, and I didn't have to talk. I could just show. It, it allowed me that opportunity to come out of my shell and mm-hmm. and, and be this this person that I needed to be in this moment. It, it I, I again I sing the praises of of athletics and what it's done for my life and what it's done for people that I've that I've seen. I'm I'm grateful for the chance to continue to work in athletics to be supportive to others as they go through uh, this challenging space because I know what it does in building a foundation that people can really lean on later in life and when when used the right way and and it you know it it is a space where you 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 have a community and that community helps to take care of you uh it's it it has a lot of a lot of um really positive tentacles to it and when it comes to men's mental health we, we we notice sometimes that when when boys are young, we're fostering that sense of camaraderie, pull together, lean on one another, whether it's sports or scouting or clubs at school or whatever. But at some point, you know, after you get out of school, we push that aside. And, you know, there's a lot of effort to, in, for men to be those lone wolves, to not need anybody and so forth. And so to have that history of how important teamwork was and how important it was to have somebody have your back, uh, it's, it's good to touchstone back to that sometimes later in life when we start to lose that. I think the other thing that I've noticed that, that sport does is it's about perseverance. It's about mm-hmm. discipline. It's about, it gets really hard sometimes and you're stuck in the middle of it going, why the hell am I doing this? This is so hard. I'm in so much pain. But you know, if you keep going, there's something good that's going to happen on the other side. Again, I think that's just a powerful metaphor for life. And you don't always get the trophy. You don't always get to win. And it's still good, <laughs> right? right. That's right. Yeah. All, all kinds of lessons there. And, and then the other piece that you know, you've shared with me in earlier conversations that I, I really would like you to touch upon, because I also think this is a, a common phenomenon for many people, but especially for, for men who have come to a position of high achieving you know, and for many, like 
thinking about performing in the NFL is like unbelievable dream come true, right? Mm-hmm. When, when you get to that place, it's, you can really start to form this single source identity that, that I am this, I am an NFL player. And, and what does that mean? I mean, that could also be like, I am a doctor or I am top of my sales team or whatever it is that you've been striving for so hard. Uh, you run the risk of developing this single source identity. And, and you've shared me with your story about, you know, you did all the right things to transition out and it was still incredibly hard. Can you just kind of back up to that point in time and talk a little bit about what it meant to have that kind of identity, how you tried to fortify yourself against it and, and how it was still hard when you were transitioning? Sure. And, and you hit the nail on the head when you've, I've said this a hundred times, when you've been the best of the best of what you do and suddenly somebody tells you, you can't do that anymore, you're going to be impacted in some way. And so I, I talk about transitioning into uh, my career as a mental health professional uh, right away out of football. And having gone through and gotten a master's degree, I have put pieces in place for a smooth transition. I was a poster child for smooth transition out of, out of athletics. I, you know, went back to school, got a master's degree. I uh, didn't make a lot of money uh, from an, from an NFL standpoint. Uh, but I didn't, didn't spend a tremendous amount either. Uh, I married up my, my beautiful wife is a, is a physician. Like I, I did a lot of great things to put myself in position for success and rolling into a job two months after filing for severance would seem to be a smooth transition, but, but it really wasn't. You know, I struggled with what you talked about, which is if I'm not a football player, who am I? You know, I've, I've, I've been that, I've, I've done that. I'm trying to be this counselor, but I'm a football player or I, I've identified as a football player because that's where I spent the majority of my, my years, since I was seven years old, I, I played football and now I'm 32 and trying to figure out what I'm doing and what am I doing next. And, and I, I was in this challenging space where I was uh, spiraling emotionally. I felt stuck. I missed the game. Uh, I, I couldn't watch uh, football for two years. You know, Sundays were, were grass cutting time. I had the freshest lawn in, in, in the neighborhood. Because Sundays I, I just I, I couldn't, and it was uh, it was extremely frustrating for my wife, who's a football fan. Her dad was a a college football player and a, and a coach and, and ref, and and, and uh, but I couldn't I couldn't do it, and I ultimately got to a place where uh, it was dark, and I, I wanted to wanted to end it for for myself, and and uh, and fortunately for me. Um, I had teammates who, you know, noticed that I wasn't who I, who I had been, or that I wasn't the person that they they had recognized, and and they reached out and um, and ultimately uh, ended up in, in getting some some support and some help to navigate through that challenge. I mean, they, you know, I I had this idea that I was a failure because I only played nine years in the NFL. And when I hear myself say it out loud, I, I want to smack myself. And sometimes <laughs> I do when I'm in private. But, you know, you only played nine years in the man, shut up. You played nine years in the NFL. 
Um, but I was so frustrated that I didn't play 10 and I felt like I left something on the table. And it, it was one of those pieces that I had a hard time getting over. You know, people would see me and they were like, oh, wow, you must play in the NFL. And I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm almost 40. Uh, <laughs> no, I don't. I don't. But, but thanks. And, and that thanks was, was, was an empty thanks because I was really angry and frustrated about not being a, an NFL player. And I struggled with that for, for a couple of years. And again, fortunately, got some, some help and support and pointed in the right direction. And what I did uh, following that was channel that challenge that I had to pursue a, a career path that, that would allow me to help others. Right. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for sharing the, the vulnerable parts of your story with us as well. You know, storytelling is a big part of the work and it takes a lot of courage to step into that space to share, especially when you have a career where you're really revered for your strength and your performance and all of that. It's hard for everybody to do. It's especially hard for men to do. And it's especially hard for black men. And um, thank you for being a model for that. Uh, can well, you talk? Well, thank you. No, yeah. nobody's going to hear this, so that's it's okay. Nobody's going to see this. I'm, I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> can you can you talk just a little bit about just your impressions of the, the 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 mental health and suicide prevention movement within the black men community? We we're at the suicide prevention community. We are very much acknowledging that suicide so white as some of us say it's just it's mostly white women actually and mostly because we've lost like myself a loved one and it's easier for us to step in the arena and try to get some work done it's harder for some other communities and we're really trying to be mindful of that and trying to to do what we can to change that and so i would really love to hear your perceptions how we can enroll black men in particular into this conversation to make it better and broader and more impactful well i will say that today it's it's it is a much more broader motivated community of black men and women uh and and supporters of the african-american mental health community that are that are doing work today to help support suicide suicide prevention in black communities and it's it's much more robust than it than it was you know even even ten years ago, it is uh, it's 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 a stronger place, and there are some strong uh, clinical and non-clinical support folks working in in the suicide prevention space that are tar that that are focused on the the black community. Um, and and again, we've come a long way, but there's still a ways to go. And, and that is part of the catch-up game that, that we've had to engage in in, in the African-American community. And, and sometimes we, you know, we make these big overgeneralizations of the Black community and around mental health and, and you know, realize that it, it, is a, it, is, it is different in every community, but there are some... some some things that that are are similar in in the stories of the the men and women that I talked to about uh, how mental health was treated for them 
as they were growing up and how it was treated for me. Uh, we just didn't talk about it. And, and I know that that is the case in, in some African-American communities, not every, but in some. And uh, one of the things that I see about mental health in general, but in the black community in particular right now is more of a willingness to have those conversations, more of a willingness to talk about mental health. Uh, in fact, you know, just earlier today, I was asked to uh, speak at a men's retreat uh, about mental health that's, that's going on this weekend. And so uh, there, there's, there's a greater willingness to explore that, to move beyond the uh, Superman complex of, that, that men have that, you know, I can handle anything and I can take on anything and, and no, I don't have any mental health. And, and I, I think we do have to continue the conversation. We do have to continue to engage, but I love the energy of some of the young mental health professionals that I know of who are engaged in this work in particular around suicide prevention for black men. And, and it's, it's really a powerful movement and uh, and and but but needs to continue to continue to you know beat that drum uh, uh, and 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 get the word out that it's it's an area that we got to pay attention to. And when you think about how, how challenging things are right now, right now in this space and time, in in the United States in particular, you know you know the joblessness. Right, the challenges of isolation around everyone self-isolating and quarantining and, and what that does to you emotionally. And you add on top of that, the tragedies around uh, uh, Mr. Floyd, Mr. Aubrey, Breonna Taylor, and, and, and what that does to a person emotionally. and. You know, you and I talked about this. I, I'm, I'm struggling. You know, I'm, I'm in this moment. I'm struggling, and I know all the resources. I know all the the right things to to say, and and you know what I can do and how to meditate. And for me, I'm still struggling. So, what happens to the person without that toolkit, who is looking for something to help them manage all that they're feeling, all that they're taking in. It's, it's a challenging time. And, and it's, it's especially challenging for Black men, in my opinion. Thanks. Yeah, it's, it's a very, very heavy time. And uh, it's a confusing time. It's an overwhelming time. And I don't know. I don't know that we have the answers about how we're going to get through this. We're just going to try to figure it out. And what I find helpful is, is this, you know, just having conversations about our realities in it and uh, acknowledging that we are struggling and we are suffering, but doing it together. Absolutely. <laughs> That's all I got. <laughs> So when you look at the younger generation and the fact that they're getting a lot of this right, you know, maybe it's because they're just fed up. Maybe it's because they've just gotten permission to be a different way. 
what are you seeing that we can learn from them you know, to help the, the generations that went before that maybe didn't have those permissions or were actually scorned or you know, seen as the other if they talked about their mental health or their suffering? What can we learn from this younger generation that seems to be a little bit more outspoken and bold? Yeah, I think that, that it, it's okay. It's okay to, to, to boldly speak out. You know, we were taught to be quiet. You know, you don't talk about that. You don't, you don't air your, you know, what your dirty laundry, right? You, you, you stay quiet about that or you suck it up and you push through. But I think, you know, we're learning that, that it's okay to talk about the challenges that you struggled with and, and, and also by acknowledging the challenges that you struggle with, you, you notice that people gravitate to you because in some ways they've struggled too and may have come from a, from a background like mine or history like mine where you were taught to not talk about it. Uh, but when you talk about it, you realize that, that there are other people around you that, that are, are facing similar challenges and, and it gives you a chance to, to come together and, and work through those challenges. So I think they, they, their, their ability to, to speak up and vocalize the challenges that they're going through and, and, and share those stories is amazing. And that peer-to-peer process of connecting has, has always worked, but it's working on it differently. You know, it's always worked in other spaces and it works in, in, in the emotional wellness space as well. And, and I think that that's a, that's a powerful tool that, that we have. And, you know, one of the, one of the young people that I see out doing the work and, and talking about his own experience is a, is a young man named Rashawn Miller. Uh, he's based out of Charlotte, North Carolina. And he's, he is, he's a powerful voice. And I'm, you know, uh, I'm really proud of, of the work that he's done. He's, you know, he's an, he's an author. He's a, he's a licensed clinician. Uh, he's a former athlete. I mean, he's, he's a, he's a strong, strong voice in the community. And, and I, I definitely want to give him props for the work that he's doing and the connections that he's making, not just in the, in the North Carolina community, but nationally. Yes. Powerful storytellers move things really really well and so thank you for celebrating him and the work that he's doing to bring people along into this experience and also you know what's possible to get through it i think the other way that you know the mental health community the suicide prevention community that we have failed black people in particular is that mostly historically our narrative around suicide prevention has been you know it's 90 percent connected to a mental health condition and therefore, you know, the best course of action is to get these troubled people to the counselors. And, and we have totally sidestepped and missed the, the social justice issues that create tremendous despair in communities. You know, we can send people to counselors all day, but if we don't address the systemic racism that exists, that leads people into lives that are despairing, not from any fault of their own, but because of lack of access to the things that can help people live fully engaged lives. That's no fault of theirs. 
and all the counseling in the world is not going to fix that. So I think that's also another place that we're really taking a look at. What are these, what are the social determinants of suicide and why are they not getting equal, equal attention in our conversation around suicide prevention? So I yeah. think that's also really highlighted right now in this moment, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Really important uh, point that you make there. And the, the, the ground has never been level. It's never been level between the black community and access to services, resources, and, and, and what others have, have had access to. And so it takes a little more work, a little harder work and maybe working at a different angle. And I think that, you know, we've, we've mastered working at different angles and, and, um, and we're going to continue to do that to make sure that, even in the space of uh, suicide and suicide prevention, that we are included in the conversation and that we get this get the messaging. And it may again, it may be de- delivered in a different way, but it's a, it's an important message that that we have to get as well. Yeah, let's talk a little bit now about the work that you're doing to help student athletes in particular you know, build that total wellness, build those pillars that can help them not only in the performance while they're playing their sport, but for the rest of their lives. What have you learned through, you know, now a couple decades of supporting student athletes' well-being? Well, Ian, I think back to my time as a student athlete and challenges I had, particularly as a first-generation poor college student, and trying to manage the, you know, the psycho-emotional items of being a, a, a black kid on a majority white campus, and then academically managing the, the those challenges, and then oh, by the way, you got this six o'clock run, and then you're going to go to class after that. You know, so, so there, there was a lot to manage, and, and so I think about the challenges that, that student athletes have, and, and you know some of the stressors that they have in their life, and you know, and you think about time demands, academics, potential for injuries, the family relationships, and being away from home, and maybe some things that are going on, and and, and you know, sleep disturbance, you know, cultural dynamics of of being in a in a group with with people from varied backgrounds. Um, there, there's a lot that goes into that struggle and, and uh, been fortunate. And you, you mentioned Total Wellness and Total Wellness was, was an initiative um, that uh, is an initiative that the NFL uh, uses. And one of the things that we talked about in, in Total Wellness was you know, really looking hard at those four pillars. And for the NFL, it was, you know, those four pillars were the financial strength, you know, which, which, you know, we talk about that because of the, the kind of money that you see in such a short time uh, in the NFL. So you got that financial strength. You got the thing that people always recognize when they see the athlete and that's physical strength. You know, it's that, that presence and, and, and it's what, we as athletes assumed was our only strength, right? If we didn't have physical strength, we didn't have anything. Um, but we realized that we're more dynamic than, than just the physical being. Then you talk about personal strength. 
And personal strength are those those relationships. It's that family dynamic. It are, it's the relationships you have with with your peers and others, and and how that helps you navigate the world. Uh, but the one that always gets overlooked is emotional strength. And 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 what we argue, and you could add a fifth one there with which is spiritual strength. But we argue that if one of those pillars are out of line then how can you be the best that you can be? You know, how can you be the best father, the best son, best husband? And, and we say that, say that you can't. But for, for those others, there are things that you would do, that you would absolutely do to address those issues. You know, you, if your money was funny, you go and talk to somebody. If, you, if your, your ankle was sprained or, or whatever, you talk to an athletic trainer. You know, family discussions always happen uh, around that personal strength. But mental health, emotional health um, has, has always been the one that, that gets overlooked. And, and so Total Wellness was really focused on making sure that we're addressing all of those elements and, and growing all of those elements. And I continue to have those same conversations at the collegiate level by making sure that we have resources in all of the, the areas that student athletes need support in. Because they're they're more than just the athlete. It's it's bigger than just the game. It's bigger than just being a student. You are a student athlete, and how do we support you and all that who you are within that student out uh, athlete element? And it's 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 been. I, I feel very fortunate to be able to do that. Not only to be able to do that, but to do it at a place that I've loved since I was eighteen. It's, I feel very fortunate to, to have that opportunity to serve student athletes uh, or to be a, a, a cog because there are some, some really dynamic people on our campus um, who are doing the day-to-day work with our student athletes from Dr. Cricket Lane, who, who leads our uh, leadership development to Dr. Jenny Shannon and Dr. Dr. Brendan Carr, who are sports psychologists that work with our student athletes every day. They're the they're the ones on the ground that are that are really connecting and 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 supporting our student athletes, Corey Sawyer and 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 others who are who are there on the ground again, just doing the day to day work. And Shelly Johnson uh, again, just I'm I'm a fortunate fortunate guy to to be able to be in the role that I'm in, and I hadn't even started with our our great strength and conditioning coaches and, and all our sports medicine people, our, our nutritionist, uh, you know, it, it's Kelsey and Rachel. I mean, there, there's, there's so many people I could go through and, and talk about that do a tremendous job of, of um, providing the support and resources that we need to help grow our student athletes into the strong, dynamic adults that that they they become so i'm i'm fortunate i feel very fortunate and very blessed and that kind of just brings us back around to how we get through this you know finding ways to serve finding ways to make meaning and finding your team no matter what you're in that's a pretty good recipe for for getting through hard times and so there you are back at your alma mater doing the thing you love to do with a great team around you. 
And that's as best as it's going to get and finding the gratitude in the moments when it's heavy and hard. I also really love your model of positioning all of these things as strengths. I also think this is a really important message direction, especially for men who pride themselves so much as a core part of who they are for being strong. So you're not talking about mental illness, even though it might be there, you're talking about emotional strength, how to build that pillar of strength because it's going to serve your other pillars. So you can be the best student athlete, the best man, whatever, whoever your audience is that you can possibly be. I think that that's a message that has a better chance of success Mm -hmm. with some of, especially our young men who can't see themselves at 50 or 70 at all, but they can see themselves playing in the next game. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. Absolutely. So I think that's a really important part of the message. I, um, I agree. This has been an honor, Dwight. Thank you so much um, to have this conversation with me today. I have been very touched by it and I'm, I'm guessing many of our listeners have as well. If people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? I, I'm on Instagram. I'm on uh, Twitter, Twitter. My Twitter handle is, D Hall 50, D H O L 50. It references my, my number when I was a dolphin, I got a Jersey back here, number 50. And, and then uh, on Instagram, it's my name, Dwight Hollier at Instagram, you know, would love to chat and connect with, with anyone and, and uh, appreciate the conversation appreciate the opportunity to be here. Dr. Spencer Thomas, you, you are, Amazing, and the the work that you do and and is is very special, and and you're a special person in in doing it. And again, really appreciate you. Thank you. I'm just going to go back real quickly and just highlight a couple of the themes that we had in this conversation, and then just come back to you for some final thoughts, and then we'll wrap up. We opened the conversation acknowledging this moment in history that we are at right now where racial injustice is on the top of many people's minds and people are paying attention in ways that we haven't really before or many parts of our community haven't done the, the due diligence around. And we wove that into conversations around men and mental health and the black community and mental health and just acknowledging that these are difficult conversations to have at a very heavy time. We talked about what could work and what's working. And one of the things that's working is sport. Sport provides a lot of pathways for people who may be, may be feeling isolated or disconnected or undervalued, maybe having difficult times managing stress or discrimination. They can find family, they can find unity, and they can strive and persevere through difficult things together to achieve really important outcomes that are lessons learned for the rest of their life. We talked a little bit about you know, the diversity within the Black community, but some commonalities of historically mental health has not been addressed proactively, but the up-and-coming generation seems to have fewer barriers around that and that we can learn so much from them of how they're stepping boldly and changing the narrative. Uh, and again, especially in this time where we are isolated, we are frightened about the uncertainty of our future, we are facing all kinds of, of violence and unrest and murders. We need those bold young leaders to, to shape a narrative of 
pulling together and resilience and sharing their stories of how they're coming through this and advocating for the right thing to do. We acknowledge that the ground has never been level, that systemic racism exists throughout every single system we have in the world, but especially in the United States, our, our longstanding history of this is really bubbling to the surface right now in ways that are unprecedented. And we need, we need, a, we need conversations and we need um, tools to get through this. And one of the tools that you have so much dedicated your life to building is helping, helping people, student athletes in particular, build pillars of strength, pillars of strength in major areas of their life that will carry them through not just their performance while they're doing their sport in, in college, but things that they'll learn and lean on for the rest of their life. And so for you, that's how you have made meaning out of, of a difficult transition um, into how you're serving and how you're living your life for the rest, rest of your life. And we're very grateful. For on so many levels, Dwight, that you're doing that. What are, what are the final takeaways or points that you want to make about, uh, about this conversation? You know, I think you summed it up beautifully. <laughs> um, I don't know that I can add, add much more to it. One point that I wanted to touch on was just the continuum that we're all on as it relates to mental health. You know, mental health is, is on a continuum from mental illness, which is often referred to as mental health, to mental wellness that often gets left out when we talk about mental health. And so I think understanding that at every moment in time, we're on that mental health continuum. And some of us are on, it on one end and some of us are on, on another end. And, and sometimes we move up and down that continuum uh, from, from minute to minute. And so when we understand that, we can become more accepting of mental health and what mental health really means. It, it means that we can move again from being mentally well and, and, and the, the strong end of wellness to being mentally ill and struggling with some of the challenges of, of uh, mental illness. Yeah, that's a very good point. And yeah. it also just ties into the prejudice and discrimination that we have in other areas of our world that what, as soon as we start doing the othering thing, like those people over there, that's when we're in trouble. And so to acknowledge, you know, if you haven't had a moment yet of deep despair, it's common, you know, it, it's common. <laughs> and uh, be quick, you know, be slow to judge uh, mm -hmm. and be quick to, to take a point of view from someone else's perspective. Because when you get there, when you get to that point of your own despair, you'll understand. Yeah, Absolutely. that's a very good point and a great way to close this. Thanks again, Dwight. Thanks for all of the listeners who leaned in today to join us and this and other very important conversations that are happening right now on these very difficult topics. Thank you to our sound editor, Dave, for making us sound awesome. And for Jessica, who keeps everything organized for me. I really appreciate you, Jessica. And on, and everybody who is just really intentionally trying to do better right now in this moment in history. 
I hope you got something out of this. Please, if you did, leave a rating and review. It helps other people find us on Apple Podcasts and in other places. And it also helps me understand what you want more of, what you want different. And so we can make this serve a broader community. Uh, if you want to hear what's coming down the pike, please go to my website, sallyspencerthomas.com, sign up for the newsletter, and you'll hear about upcoming podcasts, webinars, Twitter chats, et cetera. I'd love to hear from you. With that said, let's uh, just pause for a moment and close with our, our little saying, open your heart, challenge your thinking, and take action to save lives. Together, we can restore dignity and sustain a passion for living. <laughs>